How's it going, buddy? I'm Christopher Donnelly from Buddy & Co. And you're listening to the How's It Going Buddy podcast, a podcast that sets out to demystify brand building and entrepreneurship through conversations with experts, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders. And we'll talk through it all step-by-step step, from a buddy to a buddy. How's it going, buddy? On today's episode, we're talking with Allison Stiefel, former CMO of Masonette and president of ShopStyle. Allison is an early career mentor of mine and somebody I've gotten the chance to work for multiple times, once at Serena and Lily and most recently at ShopStyle. Allison is a close personal friend and somebody I go to a lot for marketing advice. She really understands consumer behavior, how to build a brand, and really how to optimize your marketing budget to get the most out of the dollar. I thought it would be great to have her unique perspective as she's run multi-million dollar brands all the way down to helping Buddy & Co. now and being an advisor to us. So she's got a great wealth of knowledge, and I think you'll really enjoy today's episode. Hi, Allison. How's it going, buddy? Hi, Christopher. It's great. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, all right. I'm going to apologize. My voice is doing some weird thing today where like, I have some kind of horse happening, but I don't know why or how, but um, I'm so excited that you're here. So for all of you listening, Allison is the former CMO of Serena and Lily and Masonette and former president of ShopStyle and also one of my career mentors who I owe so much to. So we're so excited to have her on. Allison, tell us what's going on. What's the latest in the world of Allison Stiefel? <laughs> Thanks, Christopher, for having me. A uh, similar huge fan of yours and super proud of what you are building at Buddy & Co., um, you know, similar to you, I've always loved growth-oriented brands and businesses and, you know, consulting and helping them grow throughout their journey to acquire new customers and, and scale. So really excited about what you're doing and how I can help. Um, wait, so. Wait. so excited. And Allison has, lives in the Bay Area and has two beautiful girls who I've known since they were little girls. And now they're like in almost high school and high school. And I don't understand how that's even possible. Exactly. Uh, I'm not sure either. <laughs> I'm like, it's crazy. But all right. So Allison, why don't you walk us through a little bit about your career? And I think, you know, I we kind of talked about this briefly offline, but I want the conversation to just kind of be natural. And we can just talk about marketing in general, because I know you're so passionate about it. And I think we'll look for ways, you know, obviously, you've dealt with some major marketing budgets and run some big, big companies. So I think that there's ways that we can maybe tie it down to, you know, some of the emerging brands and founders who are listening here and we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, for sure. And and I think one of the things, you know, when you asked me to talk about specifically problems in marketing that, you know, large companies might have had, but then how to scale it down to small companies. I mean, the truth is, is medium and large companies have the same problems and challenges as some of these smaller emerging companies. It's just that, they don't, emerging brands don't necessarily have the budgets and need to be a little bit more tactical or strategic and, and focused. So I do think there's a lot of similarities. And, and part of that also is the world of, you know, I would say fashion and home and, and beauty has really changed where technology has allowed it, where so many people can start their own business today. I mean, it's amazing. There's so many new emerging brands out there, which is so exciting, but also can be very overwhelming for the customer. And so that's why it's very important for not just, you know, new emerging ones, but also the medium to large ones to reinvent and inspire and make those connections. So. Okay. My story. So here you go. In high school, I said I wanted to be in advertising. Believe it or not, went to college, ended up at an ad agency after college, and really loved the advertising component of it. 
However, I really wanted to understand how the things I was creating impacted customer behavior and how they worked. So immediately went into digital. I love the data side as well. And I like to say, you know, I'm kind of a combination of, you know, art and science and that creativity and how to create something that's super interesting and innovative, but also has that power to make the customer do what you need it to do. So really like the digital side. And at the time, commerce was coming and, and growing. And I saw this opportunity to go to Macy's.com. And yes, Macy's.com sounds like a big brand. It obviously is. However, we were a startup. I want to say we we're about $100 million, which is still big for startups, but within the bigger brand. Yeah, especially in the ecosystem of Macy's, that's nothing. Definitely. So working out of a little closet, the Christmas I arrived, we were fulfilling out of the store, running down and picking kids' pajamas. And if someone ordered a frog pajama and we didn't have it, we threw in a dog pajama. So got in a little bit of trouble there, but really was able to roll my sleeves and really understand kind of how the commerce business worked. And so there I really led performance marketing, lifecycle marketing. It was a really fun time of commerce. A bunch of my friends from college came and worked and we had you know, we, we learned a lot. And at the time I'd been there, I think about four years. And one of the inspiring people to me, Denise and Candela, who was the president of Saks Fifth Avenue, and you know her. Yeah, she was at Ralph Lauren as well. Yes. And now leading fashion at Walmart. She reached out to me and asked me if I would move to New York and be the VP of marketing at Saks Fifth Avenue. And Saks Fifth Avenue was just launching or just growing and scaling their e-commerce business. So again, big brand Saks, but smaller because we are the small little incubating business in e-commerce. And so thought it'd be a great opportunity to learn about the luxury audience. I think one of the things that is unique about me is I have marketed to mass, to luxury, you know, beauty to home, you know, lots of different types of products, yeah. just kind of always consistently trying to learn and, and do better. Well, so, I, what I think has always been so interesting is that you're very thoughtful in your career choices, right? So like, I think like you just said it, and I think this will resonate with a lot of us who kind of been in different areas in our career, but like, you're like, oh, Saks was an opportunity to learn a new segment of audience, right? Like you could have gone probably at the time from Macy's to Lord and Taylor or something more comparable in terms of demographics, but you were like, oh no, this is a really cool opportunity to like learn a new segment. And you were picking up all these skills along in your career that I think obviously make you the success you are today. But also, I think for all of us listening, and like, for me too, like, I thought about my career, right? Like, I went from Ralph Lauren, when I met you, I was at Ralph, and then I went to Serena Lilly, because I was like, oh, this is a cool opportunity for me to learn the home industry, right? And so I I just think that that as people are thinking about their careers and or building their business, like, I think it's so interesting as you just pick up these like tidbits of like facts and learnings along your career and how how when you get time to step back and look, you're like, how more strategic it probably was than you even realized in the moments. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that just to your point, every little piece of knowledge or diversity in your background just makes you a better marketer, business lead, you know, entrepreneur, whatever it is, because you're taking all these different things. It's actually interesting when early on in my career in commerce, I was at a conference. You might know the story, but I'll share it. I was sitting next to this founder of a vintage bathtub company. Do you know the story? I don't know this story. Okay. Yeah. So this guy was selling vintage bathtubs, commerce, right? I mean, those things are heavy. Yeah. And he actually didn't have very much money to spend on marketing, you know. And so he spent 
and focus. And this is one key lesson for emerging brands is focus your dollars in an area that can reach the audience. He spent all of his time and effort on SEO and he built this huge vintage bathtub company based on SEO. And he actually taught me about SEO. So vintage bathtubs, but he taught me about SEO that I then applied to Macy's and Saks. So who would have thought? <laughs> right? It's so crazy. And like, so I think that actually, I want to get back to go your journey, but I do want to circle back to the budget piece of it, because I think that is so important for emerging brands and like how to focus and how to think about that. But let's finish going through your backgrounds because I interrupted you. Yeah, no, 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 of course. So had a great time at, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue, Omni Channel, some store stuff, but obviously growing performance and data analytics and integrated marketing there. My first child, who, as you mentioned, is now a high schooler, was born in New York. And after a year, it was time to kind of come home back to California. So came back and got into the home world. I would say it was very interesting. Another mentor of mine, Marta Benson, she's now the president of Pottery Barn. Amazing, I would say, a business leader, marketer, merchant. She was really, she's such an inspiration she decided that she wanted to start a personalized gift business within Williams-Sonoma. And so again, theme of startup, you know, number three employee of Mark and Graham was the business name. And we had to build the website from scratch. We, the brand, the positioning, the look and feel and all of the marketing. And that one is an interesting story because, you know, there we didn't have a lot of money. So to your point on budget, we realized that we really wanted other people to experience and share our brand. And we didn't have any store, so people couldn't touch our products. And so what we did is we had a couple events where we brought in key influencers into a home and had this beautiful dinner where at the beginning of the dinner, everyone that was there was like, mm, I'm not into monogramming. We're like, this is more than monogramming. It's about creating an object and making it a personal gesture. And so, you know, Marta would tell the story of one of her bosses early on in her career gave her a rock. And it wasn't just a rock. It was a rock with her name, Marta. And to this day, she has it on her desk because it's so meaningful. But really, it is just a rock with her name on it. And so as she told the story, a lot of the influencers and creators started to realize that actually they had things within their home that were very sentimental and monograms. So one woman's parents came from Brazil and they have this chest with this amazing monogram on it that isn't their own, but it was something that someone found and gave to them during their wedding. And so I do think like it was very focused on not spending a lot of money, but finding an audience that could help tell our story. And that was kind of the launch of Mark and Graham within Williams-Sonoma. After that, I did, I went to Serena and Lily, where that's where we connected. Christopher went from his Ralph Lauren attire to becoming California coastal chic home decor. And they're really kind of helped that brand grow and, and also tell it their story about these two individual women and how they met and how they created this beautiful pattern and, and product that wasn't out there in the market. So led marketing and, and commerce there. And then and kind of carrying on your theme, right? Like we were, I mean, at the time we were a small business, right? Like yes. we were we were tens of millions, but not not what the not the brand it was. I mean, even when I went, I always think about this in my head is like I told people I was leaving Ralph Lauren to go to Serena and Lily, and everyone was like, You're going where? You're going to work for who? Like I've never heard of that brand. What is that? And now you say Serena and Lily, and like everyone knows it's it's everybody knows the brand. They've we, you know, we had two stores when we were there and we opened more while we were there. But 
like, I mean, it's so crazy that like, you know, again, like they were really thoughtful. Serena and Lily both were incredibly thoughtful leaders who really like understood that they had really powerful product and they just needed to continually find new and innovative ways to market it. And that's what yeah. that's what you were doing. And that's what we were doing. I mean, when we were building the new e-com shop and all of that. But similarly, it's like another small brand that like had some big support behind it in terms of investors, but also board members and things. But it was we were we were a small oh, brand. Yeah, small, scrappy, creative. Yeah. That was probably was that your first kind of like emerging brand that you were yeah. part of? Yeah. yeah. We share somebody in common as well. But like so when I worked at Brooks Brothers before Ralph Lauren, I worked for Ken Seif, who is like the ultimate entrepreneur, right? So like even really? though like, similar to your stories of like we were we were in a separate building. We were like we were like a true startup within Brooks Brothers, right? This is this two yeah. hundred year old company like trying to emerge, and Ken was leading the ecom team and, and everything. And Ken is such an innovator, so I think I got a little like startup bug from him. Honestly, like even though we were in Brooks Brothers and it was this big corporate role, and I wore a suit every day to the office, and it was like nothing like a startup. But Ken's energy was such of such of that that. I found it contagious. And then I went to Ralph and I love Ralph Lauren and it's one of my favorite brands ever. But I wasn't as like passionate about the day to day as I was working for Ken. And then again, it's Serena Lily because I really do like to you like it's like it's being in the like the muck and the weeds and the building and like that's the stuff that yeah. like, lights me on fire. Yeah, no, I hear you the same. I mean, I think that personally, if I was in a world that was just optimizing and, and you know, and making things better, but not innovating and having that passion, you know, you're not necessarily like, I would say learning and, and truly enjoying it. So very similar. And I think that's, you know, probably what drew me to shop style, which is where you and I continued our journey together too. you know, at shop style, I saw this opportunity where, and shop style is owned by Rakuten, but shop style had this opportunity where they had this fashion search engine. And then they also had a creator influencer network of 20,000 influencers that we made, you know, tools and provided data and connected with retailers to help them monetize their influence. And I really saw this opportunity of bringing these two things together. Like you, we had this amazing fashion search engine and with some discovery editorial, but really how could you leverage these amazing content creators? And as we all know, the world has evolved so much. There is not one look out there. It is about your expressing your individual style and leveraging that to really let those influencers tell the story and reach different audiences and create looks of whether it's going to be a maxi with, you know, sneakers or it's going to be, you know, joggers and boots, but really letting them kind of identify and and find their and express their own style. And so was there running marketing for the consumer platform and influencer, and then ended up being the general manager running the business overseeing sales, which I love the sales side of things. You too. love the sales side. Of, and it's funny to me because like, I think if I had thought about that, like in our Serena and Lily days, like, I don't know if I would have thought that about you. You know what I mean? Like what you do. And like, we had the an opportunity to be in France together during the, you were on a road show for retailers within shop style. So you would go around and talk to all the different big players. I think you were at 24S, we the, the French word. And like, you're so, you were so passionate and lit up about like 
talking to them and how you could help their business. It's funny because like, even in this conversation, like you really truly are, you have such an entrepreneurial spirit for somebody who has like such a big corporate background, because that's what I think was lighting you up with like, you were taking, a, you had a solution and you were telling these brands like, hey, like I've been, I've been the CMO. I know what that is. Now I'm like, I have this cool tech solution. Like, let's figure yeah. out how to marry it. And then of course, like there was ad sales and stuff that tied into it. But it was so interesting to like watch how like alive you would become in those like meetings. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like that, that similar theme of helping businesses grow and, and finding yeah. new marketing. So while I say it's sales, it's, it's not your traditional sales where you're out there recruiting and bringing people on board. It's really about building marketing programs and plans that satisfy the OKRs of the goals of these retailers that were out there. So, but yeah, and that's kind of like, I mean, why I'm so excited to participate in Buddy & Co and, and be part of it. You're, you're doing this too. And you're finding these amazing emerging brands with, you know, creative founders and inspirational products and helping them, you know, reach audiences and, and grow. So I think it's really huge, huge kudos to you and in, in what you're building. With it's, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably why I, I get a little bit of the bug from you of like, it's just like so fun to like help them figure out their solutions and like watch. I love watching also for me personally, I love watching the founders like realize that they already had these marketing skills and they just didn't fully know how to tap into them or fully trust that they knew what they knew. And like, uh, I find that really fun. I think be really interesting for a lot of people, especially is like, so when you think about like a marketing mix, right? So like when you had a hundred million dollar ad budget or marketing budget for a brand, right? You, you thought about your mix and all your channels and everything. When you, when you dilute that down to like a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, it's the same principle to it. You said earlier, right? It's, it's just your dollar goes a little less yeah. far <laughs> than it does. But I always say like, you know, because a lot of founders ask me, I'm like, yes, you can throw, even if you had unlimited resources, like you can only throw so much money at, because your organization also has to be there to support it, right? To your point, your story about Macy's, like you were throwing in incorrect pajamas into the box, like, <laughs> which back then was like kind of okay, because it was like a new frontier and things. But now like, that's not, that's, you're going to get roasted on social media for that. Yeah. So like, that's sure. So like budget is one piece of it, but it's also like really like, how do you think about like, where do you start? Like I'm a founder, if I was a founder and I literally didn't know how much like I should even spend, like how do I even approach it? Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. I think that before you you think about your media mix, like the first steps are, you know, you know, the first step is really around learning who your customer is, right? So who is your audience? You know, and that could be, demographics. It could be psychographics. It could be like style. And so really understanding like who they are, where they're shopping, you know, what type of media mix or who they trust, you know, like uh, for example, you know, children's apparel business is, you know, or, you know, home business is probably going to be reaching moms through other moms because moms trust our dads, you know, trust yeah. from others. And so how do you build a marketing program that really becomes word of mouth because that is where that trust comes from. So, which is different than like fashion where, you know, for fashion, they, there might be a luxury customer who's like, I want the first, you know, YSL shoe or boot that comes out right away. And so then you're attracting that person much more, much differently because they're going to be looking through social media or searching themselves for the latest and the greatest and, and, and be first. So I think audience is really important. I think 
as you're developing your audience too, you need to understand like your brand's reasons to believe. Like what is it that this brand does that's going to resonate with the audience that's different? Yeah. Because we were talking about like the world with technology and, and data and everything, every, there's so many brands out there. So you have to make sure that you are stand out, whether it's brand, design, price point, you have to figure that out and it has to mesh with what that customer is looking for. And then I would say, once you have that, it is, I believe you got to build the brand first because I think if you build a great commerce platform and people and you spend money and someone comes to it and lands on a product detail page and then checks out, but doesn't realize the benefit of your business, they will not come back. And that was an expensive marketing tactic that didn't acquire a loyal customer. So I think you got to make that. sure in the brand, and it could be anywhere from, you know, the signature on your emails to the post-purchase, post-purchase life cycle. One of the things actually going back to my, one of my mentors, Marta Benson, when she was at, she had been at Gump's, which is a hundred year old yeah. home store before William Sonoma. And she would, for new customers, she would hand write a thank you note to new customers, yeah. literally hand write them. And it was like that high touch because it was a very small business. And these were luxury shoppers who spend a lot of money. And once you, you know, they wanted that high touch. And because of that, it's, you know, we would get comments back like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the CEO wrote me a letter. This oh. is so great. And now I'm going to go buy this $10,000 pearl necklace. But so. I, I think that, and I think for a lot of founders, like they get kind of like ahead of themselves. They'll be like, well, I mean, if we get to a hundred orders, like I can't do that. But the point is like when you're building a brand at that stage, you're, it's okay. Like if your first hundred customers over time get those notes and by the time you're at 200 wow. orders, you can't do them, but you started your brand on the foot of like service and branding and marketing to your point that you're starting that foundation really strongly and you'll find ways and, and the problems will solve themselves over time. As you scale up, you'll find a software that can do something similar or, you know, there's ways to, to do it. But I think a lot of people get kind of caught up in the like, well, I could do that for this order, but like if I grow, like I don't have time or, you know, or even, even if they're not even thinking that far out, they're just like, I have to give approvals on merchandising. I've got an order to fulfill. I don't have time. But to your point, like that's the stuff that really solidifies brands in people's memory and minds. And we all know there's a billion brands out there now. Yeah. And it's really those key differentiators that really do help like create those like little like neural pathways in people's brains. And You're like, oh, I remember I ordered from Gums and I got that such a like a really sweet note. Like I'm going to go there first. Yeah, that emotional connection. And you're totally right. Not everyone can write 4 million <laughs> handwritten yeah. notes, but it is like what what stands out. And and what you do now is very could be very different than to your point what you do what you do later. And and at the end of the day, I do have to say as you're thinking about number of orders, like five customers that come back and repeat, you know, two to three times are much more valuable than ten customers that come once. Yeah. So I, I think that while one of the pitfalls I think of building a business is you can be so ROI focused and you're like, I need that immediate return. I need spending a dollar. I want 10, but you're not necessarily looking at the long term of was that customer high quality and will they come back? And so I do think that's a really important lesson for like emerging brands is, you know, what are your OKRs? How many customers? So let's do you define need? OKRs for those of us who don't know what OKR yeah, yeah. is an OKR. Objective and key results. So an objective might be to, you know, to be the first place that women, you know, or parents come to, to look for advice on 
children's products. And the way we're going to, key result we're going to identify is we're going to get, let's say, and we're going to drive a 10, you know, I'm trying to think of $10 million over the, you know, over the year by getting this much traffic at this cost per acquisition with this type of return, this type of retention on customers. And I think all that sounds like scary to a founder and a startup, right? So it's like, you, it, it doesn't have to be that serious. We know like not everyone has marketing teams and leads to know that it can be like, I've always said this to all of my founders is like goal setting, like is yeah. how you accomplish it, right? Like I've seen many clients come in who have sustaining, like growing businesses, but they don't have a forecast. They don't have a goal plan. Yeah. And so it gets really hard to know like where you're at in your business and how do you weather a down week versus an up week and like all of those things. And so it could be as basic as like, I want to sell a hundred thousand dollars in the month of November. I'm going to spend $10,000 on ads yeah. and I'm going to send out, you know, 15 handwritten notes. Like that, that could be an OKR. It doesn't have to be like as robust <laughs> as it will be one day. Right. And like, yeah. so I think a lot of times founders get overwhelmed by like, well, I can't do that today, but like yeah. you can, you can start today with just one piece of it. And that'll be, again, like training the muscle. So that way, when you are spending $100,000 on ads in a month, like you already have all those muscles built and then you can kind of lean on it. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important things for OKRs is really just that everyone in the company, whether it's just you or a team of 10 or a team of 100, they're all focused on the same thing. Because if everyone's focused towards the same North Star, then you're going to win, right? Versus people doing other things. And you're totally right. Like, you know, I think like the note idea or like a tactic, those are things that you're going to do at certain points in time. But as you develop your OKRs, you're going to also be developing kind of your roadmap, which is like, okay, to do that, these are the things that I'm going to do to get there. And that roadmap is your operational plan that then you you run the business after. But you're right. It's, there's going to be different steps. Step one might be honestly just to like, talk to five customers and make sure that they understand your messaging and that it resonates and stands out in month one. Check. Okay. Step two, you know, might be, okay, I'm going to invest $10,000 in targeting a geographic location because I knew my customer is there and I'm going to test these three messages. Step four is like this one went this target with this message, which is very important you know, is now going to be rolled out to spend 20000 or I'm going to then move on and test the next marketing channel. So I think that totally agree can be overwhelming and you just got to take a step back and be like, what the big story and big, you know, focus is this, but here's my steps of how I'm going to get there. And then it feels much more digestible. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this, that I see a lot is really hard. And, and by the way, it's really hard at the big level too, because I remember we had these conversations with Serena and Lily and Ralph even. But like, how do you how do you build the muscle of like weathering the storm, right? So like, it's scary. It's, it's definitely scarier on a founder self-invested for like problem, right? Yeah. But, it's like I'm investing ten thousand dollars in ads. I'm expecting to get twenty thousand dollars back, just a one uh, one to two ratio, right? Like, how do I give myself enough self control? Because like a lot of times, like I'll see clients and be like, I I, I put a thousand dollars behind an ad, and we got like nothing over three days, so I turned it off. And I'm like, right, because it takes more than three days for the ad to optimize, or you know, you didn't target it. And some of them, some people just don't know what they don't know, right? But it's yeah. more about like, and we, but we would do the same thing, right? Like at Serena and Lily or any other brands that we've been at, like you start spending money. And if you weren't seeing that return immediately, 
it's very easy to emotionally react to that. Yeah, I think that there's like some some when you're testing, you know, kind of different investments, you definitely have to before you throw money out there again, like take a breath and and think about, okay, is the audience right? Is the message right? Because you could be reaching the right audience, but maybe they're actually not interested. They're not price sensitive, right? Like, you know, maybe if you went out, like an example would be at ShopStyle, actually, you know, we were working on our reasons to believe. And we thought, you know, because we're we're partners with Rakuten or owned by Rakuten, we had cash back. And we're like, our customer is going to love that they can get cash back. However, we're like middle of the funnel shopping engine. People don't necessarily know what they even want yet. And so we, when we went out with that message first, we didn't see it necessarily perform as well. And we were stunned because like, what? Who doesn't want cash back? But the problem was they didn't even know what skirt or shirt or brand right. they wanted yet. And so what we realized is that actually these customers wanted a curated shopping experience. They wanted personalized recommendations. And that was more that to their style, that was more important than cash back at the time because they they weren't looking to buy it. And yeah. so I think that, you know, as we tailored and changed our messaging, we saw the same tactic perform much better. So I think, yeah. you know, have to think about the audience and the messaging. And yes, you got to give it more than three days. You have to, you know, take some time. But again, don't just pull that completely. Maybe iterate. Iterate the audience a little bit and then iterate the messaging. You know, really, I think, like the biggest lesson for emerging brands is really focus and start to do something well. So whether that is Google search or social, you know, depending on where your audience is. I mean, if you're a if you're a beauty brand that's reaching Gen Z, it's all TikTok. Just go try TikTok, you know, and really keep right. testing and iterating on that one thing. Because once you find that combination of audience and messaging and and also where you link them to, right? Because that's you know where they land. Also, is that third piece then you can take what works and you can apply it across different marketing channels. I love that. I think that's so so impactful for people to think about because I think a lot of, again, like if you have a, a conversation with like an ad agency or whatever, like, well, we can run Pinterest, we can run Google, we can run Facebook. So when you're trying to figure it out on your own, it can be kind of overwhelming and yep. you're better off to your point of focusing and like perfecting the one channel that really resonates and then expanding. And I think, you know, I think, a little bit about really understanding the marketing world too of like top of funnel, middle of funnel and bottom of funnel, right? Because mm-hmm. to your point, like it's driving top of funnel, but if you don't have all your email program, lifecycle marketing set up correctly, you're just wasting people into the funnel. I think what I've seen happen in the last couple of years, which I think is so interesting is in like customer acquisition costs through like paid media were so cheap that like yeah. it didn't matter anymore loyalty because like back like Ralph and like my Brooks days and Serena and Lily like we cared a lot about loyalty and then the ecosystem of meta opened up and like customer acquisition was so cheap that I feel like brands like kind of lost sight of like life cycle of a customer and LTV to CAC which is lifetime value and their cost that you acquired them but because of all the privacy changes now it's gone completely back cuz customer acquisition costs are so high through Meta yeah. and through Google even that you if you're going to pay $100 to acquire that customer they damn well better be worth $300 in a lifetime value if not more or you just literally pissed money away for nothing. And so I think that's a really interesting kind of place to get now for brands now building to like kind of go back to the cycle of like, it's not just about a transaction. It's about 
acquiring the right customer so you don't have to keep paying to acquire them. Yep. And and building the relationship. I think like we talked a little bit about understanding the customer, about the building your brand, about reaching your audience and getting them to come over and convert. But you're absolutely right. You can't, you cannot forget that. What happens after they convert? You know, that post-purchase, like those three days, if you're not sending them an email thanking them and recommending other products, you're missing out immediately. Yeah. You don't want them to forget who you are. And that could be in packaging, that could be an email and targeting messaging, but you absolutely need to think about that life cycle journey. And, and it doesn't have to be, I mean, I think also people hear life cycle and to your point of it being overwhelming. I mean, that could be overwhelming. Like we could, you and I could spend yeah. a whole day in a conference yeah. room, which would be really fun building yeah. out life cycle. I you think know, we for, have. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I actually like those days and all the different things. But even then, like at big companies, I'm overwhelmed. So it's really taking a step back and be like, okay, what is the one thing we want them to do? The one yeah. thing we want them to do is to return. The next thing we want them to do is to buy a second purchase. So you got to break it down. Well, you can, you should be thinking visionary of like, okay, here's all the different ways they could come in. They could buy, if they buy, you know, a boy's outfit, then come Easter, I'm going to recommend them this type of outfit and then Christmas and Halloween. But really it's, it's about taking and digesting and being like, what do I want them to do? I want them to come back. How can I do that? Yeah. And again, going back to testing your email channels, subject lines, you know, I love writing a good subject line. Sure do. <laughs> you know, messaging and, and linking and getting them to come back and then making that second purchase. So I think that just really breaking it down like that is makes it more digestible and, and really important because once they make second purchase, most likely they're going to come back for that third. Like the yeah. hardest thing is the first. The next hardest is really that second one. But if you have a great experience, you know, then I think the third and fourth, you know, come a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then that hundred dollars that or whatever it is that you acquired them is starting to really make sense. Right. And then so you think about your your business from that perspective. And I think all of these things are all really important. And I think this is where I know a lot of founders start to struggle because it's like, OK, but I also have to talk to the factory about getting all of my product produced or I have to, you know, like I also have other things going right. on. I've got kids, I've got spouses, I've got other, you know, things. So I think that to your point, to sum it up, it's like one step at a time, really like digging in and figuring out who you are and what you want to say and then figuring out one tactic that works and then expanding from there. And I feel like that's like a really solid roadmap for people to follow along and not get overwhelmed. I totally agree. And I think the other thing to think of is lifetime value. Like some of these brands might not have a lifetime, like multiple years. Lifetime doesn't have to be multiple years. It could be six months. It could right. be nine months. It could be a year. So I think that's the other thing to think about is you don't need to have tons of data and have been around for a long time. It's more about looking at will this customer come back in a period of time that you've identified? I also think like one, you know, you're such a brand storyteller, right? And I think that really like remembering that that's, that's your key pillar is like your story and who you are. That's the differentiator. Great product is great, but if you don't tell the story right, nobody's ever going to get that product. So yeah. I think that that is something that, you know, as, as people are thinking about marketing, like, if you even if you just bring everything back to that, right? Am I authentically who I putting out the brand and thoughtfully putting out the brand I'm trying to create? Like that in itself is a win. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really good point too. And I think 
in this theme of like breaking it down, keeping it simple, trying, you know, these single things on the storytelling, like hone your message and stick with it. You do not need to reinvent the wheel. Like someone needs to hear your message actually multiple times before it even resonates. And I think sometimes because you're so close to the business or the brand, you get tired of hearing it. So then sometimes businesses try to like change and be creative. Yep. But what's happening is it's diluting and it's so much more work. It's like stay true to your art, find that right message, and just keep repeating it, repeating yeah. it. People aren't getting tired of it. I promise you. Yeah. I say that a lot. I have a lot of that conversation with founders around product and development of product, right? I, I can't tell you how many of my founders, by the time the collection is launching, they're like, I don't want to see it anymore. I'm sick of that. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, <laughs> I know you're sick of it. But by the way, she or she or he, whoever the customer is, like, has it. seen it maybe twice now. They don't even know who you are, or what it is. And they yeah. just, now I heard a fact that, and tell me if you've heard this. Okay. So when I was in college and like early on in my career, it was seven times it took for a marketing message to penetrate a consumer, right? That's like, I remember highlighting that in my textbook. Apparently yeah. it's 37 times now because of the really? duration of, of cons consumption of content out there now. 37 times. That's, that's wild. Yeah, definitely has changed. And I think you're right because there's so many ways to consume content. It's all around you. And it's not just like outdoor and paper and magazine. It's like, I mean, how many times have you picked up your phone and <laughs> yeah. seen some sort of advertising? I think on the product assortment side too, you, you touched on like, you might be get tired of it, but the customer isn't. You know, one of the things I also think is as you're building your brand is curate. It's better, I think, to have smaller assortments and deeper than such a broad you know, a broad breadth of things when you're starting out. Because again, going back to your story, who are you? Are you apparel? Are you home? Are you, you know, I don't know, you know, something else. I think that it's, you know, a little bit better finding the right thing and doing it really, really well. And then kind of expanding. Yeah. I actually, actually think of this company, Roller Rabbit, who I don't work for, I don't know, but I am kind of a fan because I feel like as they kind of started, they were kind of a lot of things. They were like apparel for women. They were home. They were pajamas. They were kids. And I feel like recently they've kind of taken a step back and really own pajamas. And yeah. they have all these like interesting, you know, collectible versions of these pajamas that are out there that are releasing. And it's funny, my younger daughter, I think she has like four pairs. I, I don't even, she wants yeah. them for her birthday. She has everyone to get them. So, because I know they can be pricey, but you know, it's one of those things that they are doing it so well. And I just see them, it's like a rinse and repeat, but with something a little bit more creative and fresh. And again, going back to being focused and doing something really well. Yeah. And, and being known for it, right? I mean, like Serena and Lily, like we were really known for that updated coastal California aesthetic, right? Like we didn't. Yeah. We didn't veer from that. We weren't one day putting out like modern furniture because that was the trend. And I think that's a little bit to the fact of like the overconsumption of content works on founders and brands too, right? Because yeah. like, you're like, oh, that brand's now putting out modern furniture. Maybe I should do that too. And then all of a sudden right. you're like, okay, hold on. I'm going to go put out modern furniture. But you've spent all this time like attracting that traditional customer and now they're alienated and then you don't even have a place in the new customer yet because you weren't that 20 minutes ago. And yeah. I think to your point, it's like uh, focused and staying authentic to what you're building is going to be more successful than trying to ride on like a trend or something that's happening. Yeah. And and again, that, that can be risky because you lose and alienate your core customer, which yeah. 
you don't want to do. You've already built the, you know, and invested in them. Yeah. And and I always say this, we talk, I talked about, I had Megan Stanton of Henry Duvall on, and we well, were talking about that too. Like the consumer is savvier now than ever before. She or he can smell inauthenticity. So Absolutely. if you are traditional or patterned or colorful, and then all of a sudden you're like, I really like all glass, white, modern. Like they're going to know that that's not the authentic brand that you've been building. And they're not going to engage. They're not going to engage with your content. They're not going to engage with your marketing. They're not going to buy from you because it just doesn't like there's enough brands to choose from that consumers are going after brands that are authentic. So again, it's just it's honing in and really owning what you're building and your space and par- and carving your path, I think is probably what we're both yeah. saying in a, a meaningful way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you're building that brand, like that, the positioning, the look and feel, all that, that isn't just in marketing. That is the assortment as well. Like yeah. making sure that that assortment fits within what you're trying to communicate and do because you can market in a way, but if the actual physical product also does not support that, then it is a total disconnect. And also you as a founder, especially of an emerging brand, like I I remember years ago, long before I ever started Buddy & Co or thought I would, I remember I was at a party in New York and I met a founder of a brand. I, I'm just, I don't even remember what category of, of, of what it was, but I was talking and I was like, oh, like, do you wear, it was, must've been apparel. I was like, oh, do you wear, you know, your designs? Said, I, I no, I would never. And I'm like, really? What? Like, then what are you doing? Like, I don't remember, like, and again, like I was young and early in my career, being like, well, wait, hold on. Meanwhile, I don't think that brand ever went anywhere. <laughs> and it's not surprising because again, it's like, you should be living and breathing what you're building. Always said that, you know, live the brand. And I do think you're right. Like even myself and maybe, I mean, it might be unique to me, but I personally have to love the brand and and use it myself because I want to be a consumer to understand that. And so maybe when I'm at Serena and Lily, I'm very coastal. But when I went to Sephora, I wore black and white with some bright red lipstick and tried so many facial products. So I, I do think that, yeah, it's really important. And it doesn't have to be that the brand is exactly for you, but you have to like, you have to embrace passionate it. passionate about it. You can't yeah. market, you can't develop product. You can't market a product without being passionate about it. I always say that, like for me. So of it, yeah. You know this, but like at some, I was telling my team the story the other day, but at one point when I was looking to leave Serena and Lily, I was approached by a massive big box brand. And like, it was real compelling, right? Like they were throwing real, real money at me. Like, especially yeah. at that point in my career. And I always joke, like, I remember what the stock package was at what the price was for the shares back then and like what it is now. And I'm like, oh, I really lost out on this one. But I wouldn't have, I would have been miserable every day, right? Like I would have never been passionate about what that product was or what I was doing. And I knew that that wasn't going to be successful for me. And though it would just be chasing money. And I think that that is, again, similar to to marketing for an emerging brand. Like, yes, it's easy to chase, like you can chase that next dollar, but you got to build the customer base and you got to build a brand that you're proud of and that you're passionate about because that's going to help you weather the storms. And as we know, building a brand, there's a lot of storm that happens. And like you have to, if you've got that deep rooted foundation of a core customer base and a passion for your brand, it's easier to weather those storms. For sure. I think like what you're saying too is like a key insight for founders and these emerging brands of people they hire. You know, I feel like I've been more successful as a leader when I hire 
people who are passionate about the business or the brand. And and when I say that, like with shop style, it's fashion, but it's also technology. So it could be yeah. a product guy who is very technical, but also likes his own personal style, but maybe doesn't necessarily shop the brands we have. And that works, you know, but I do think having that connection just makes it where everyone's kind of working towards the same things and personally invested. And I don't know, passion is so important in, you know, in connecting with people you manage, connecting with, you know, your customers and and even your suppliers too, right? Like, again, like when you're passionate and when you're building something that, you know, again, over time, like it helps just like it helps with the brand messaging. If you're really consistent, it's going to help with your manufacturing too, right? If you're changing factories every five minutes because you're changing aesthetics all the time, you're never really going to get to that core competency of being perfecting cashmere sweaters or or linen duvet covers or whatever it is. So it all kind of comes back to like not letting the outside noise distract you from what you're trying to build and really like hone it. Yeah, totally agree. So Allison, like last question, like what is one piece of advice you'd start, you'd give to anybody starting in marketing and that could be starting their career in marketing or starting as a founder, building their marketing strategy for their brand? Great question. And I'm going to, I'm going to speak to something that's actually very relevant to me today as well, which is, I think it's really important to surround yourself with inspiring people and create a community and network for you. So like I mentioned earlier, you know, the founder of the Vintage Bathtub, you know, he actually still is in my community and is part of this other business. But, you know, connecting with him and and making sure that you're as you're going along this journey that you're, you know, kind of holding this community and connecting with them because there's going to be one day where you actually might need their advice or want to reach out to them or maybe you want to hire them or you want to, you know, sell your company to them, you know? So I really think that that's really important is just surrounding yourself with people that inspire you, that you learn from and continue to always connect and and network and form that community that, you know, helps you kind of, you know, continue to grow in your career or personally as well. Yeah, I love that. And we talk about this a lot is for founders, it can get overwhelming and lonely and having that community to lean on, even if it is just being like, hey, like, I can't even get my meta ad to launch. Like what's happening? Does anybody want to help me or know anything? Or like, what am I doing wrong? Like it can be so inspiring and it can be so helpful as you're just sometimes in your own tunnel of, you know, building something. I think that's yeah. great advice. And I think that that goes for everybody. We we talked about it earlier. The networking and building that, that community is so key and so important. And it's a muscle that all of us have to continue to work out because even like we were saying, like not always something that's like forefront until you're in a moment where you're like, oh, I wish I knew somebody I could ask a question to. And then you're like, oh, crap, like I should. And I love actually, will you share what you said you're going to start to do? Because I loved that. Oh, I um, I was saying that once a month, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Once a month, just reach out to a business or a leader or someone in the industry to connect with and and let them know my, you know, how they inspire me or some article they wrote that I thought was great. So I just think that's great. Once a month, do one to two. And then and and also the nice thing is you might need something from them that they they will then feel comfortable to reach out to you. And yeah. that's how we better each other. And I actually think Christopher, this totally ties into Buddy and Co. I mean, that is what you're building, this community that's easy of people who have expertise and founders who are doing similar things to have a place to do exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah that And that's what I'm so excited about is because it is, 
it's so fun to like see everybody come together and start to learn and grow from each other. And it's such a big world out there that like we can all grow and we can all rise together and we can help each other. And it can be a lot more of an enjoyable journey with others by your side. Yes, absolutely. For sure. Well, thanks, Allison. We're so excited. You can't, you know, you're always welcome to come back and chat with us whenever you want. We loved having you. Such a fun conversation and, you know, really always fun to connect with you, Christopher, and hear what you and your, you know, how you're working with different founders and businesses and really excited about Buddy and Co. and and to see how that continues to grow and scale and help small businesses. Awesome. Thanks, Allison. Bye. It was really special for me to get to chat with Allison. Allison has been a longtime career mentor and friend, and I love that I got to share her with the Buddy & Co. audience. Being able to kind of understand from her perspective where brands need to focus their dollar, understanding how to you know value and understand who the customers we're trying to reach are, and really surrounding yourself with expanders. I think it's all really powerful and can be applied to any business of any size from, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue to $200 million businesses. I'm so grateful for Allison for taking the time to chat with us and we look forward to the next episode. 